praise. And as you're going to your separate ways, I do want to say thank you to Jim. And I'm going to say your last name wrong. Tell me how to say it. Capriccio. Oh, that's a. Is that right? Cap. Cap. Close enough? I was going to say, that's a fun word to say. He has come for two days and done electrical work. This is Terrence's uh, stepdad and mom. And while they're in town, he didn't want to just sit around and clip tags off of baby clothes, right? <laughs> he was like, I need to do something. We're like, we got something for you to do. So, uh, and we are very grateful. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have them in town. I wish they could just pack up and move here. Now they really have a good reason. You know, of course, Terrence is a good reason, but a grandchild's even better, right? So, uh, but thank you, Jim, for everything. We appreciate it very much. Tonight, if you have your word, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark. We are in chapter 12, and tonight we will be in verses 13 through 17. I want to let you know that uh, I called Vanessa today, and I said, can we make a slide that has all of the scriptures um, that are referenced in what I'm uh, teaching tonight. So there they are. They're going to be up on the screen after the service. So if you want to come up and maybe take a picture of them, uh, I highly recommend you doing that. Uh, that way they're kind of all in one place. And throughout the week you can go to these scriptures and you can look them up and uh, really dig into the word. And I just pray that this is going to be helpful to you uh, in studying uh, because the word tonight uh, is an on-time word. And tonight in this text, we're talking about government. Uh, where is your allegiance? And, you know, we're not in the place uh, in the book of Mark just by accident because there have been several weeks that I've taught right when that word needed to be taught. Uh, and tonight is no different because we are in a place where, uh, in a moment in time where there's a lot going on in government. <laughs> and we need to understand our role as believers in participating in local government, um, voting, things to that nature. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So Mark uh, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Uh, if you're there, say amen. Or your eyes can be up on the screen. That's good enough for me. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that you are true and care for no man, for you regard not the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth. Is it lawful to give tri tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Jesus has a way of making us marvel, right? to the believer and to the non-believer. His words are life. His words are powerful. And we marvel at his word. If there ever comes a time in our lives where we don't marvel at the word of God, we need to get on our face before him. We need to get on our face before him and say, Lord, there's something not right. There's something between 
you and me, and, and I want it gone because your words are life, your words are powerful, and every time we open the word of God, it should do something to us. It should change us. It should challenge us, correct us. That's what the word is for, amen? So things are heating up in Jerusalem. Jesus has offended the religious powers, and they are out to get him. We know this. This has been going on for several weeks in our teaching, but this is the same day all of these things are happening. They want him dead, so they come to him in an effort to lay a trap for him. They want Jesus to make a verbal misstep, so to speak, so that they can uh, use it to their advantage. Uh, the text tonight that we're reading uh, is a series of attacks launched by the enemies of the Lord, and their goal in all of these attacks is to either discredit him uh, with the people or have reason to accuse him by the state. They're looking for a reason. They're out to get Jesus, and they don't care how they accomplish their goal. In this text uh, that I just read, they come to Jesus with a question of allegiance. They're questioning the allegiance. Uh, and this challenge from these evil men have something to say to our hearts tonight you know a lot of times and even I last week when I finished up um, in verse 12 and then reading ahead in the text that we're in tonight I was like huh okay Lord you're really gonna have to open this portion of scripture up to me because people might go I don't know go brain dead <laughs> during this portion because they don't really see what they can get out of it well, well, why does that pertain to me? You know, they're talking about Caesar and all of this stuff. Well, tonight, if we will uh, continue to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way, I know the Lord will open this up to you. Uh, I know he will. Um, I just want to share a couple thoughts. Um, I want you to see the Jews and their attack, and then I want you to see the Lord and his answer, because he always has an answer. He always has the last word. Amen? So the teaching found tonight uh, gets right to the heart of whose we are and who we serve. That's really what it's about. The Lord has something to say to his people, and even to those who don't know him. He has a word for our hearts tonight, but will we receive it? See, God wants to know, wants you to know, that he has a claim on your life. He has a claim on your life. He wants you to know that you have an obligation to serve him. He wants you to know who you belong to, right? Where is your allegiance tonight? Verse 13, we see the attack. This verse tells us that the men who approached Jesus came from two very different groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They never came together on anything. And I guess I would relate it to the Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, really, that's what it boils down to. One was extremely conservative and the other was extremely liberal. But when you see the, those two groups come together, watch out. I think um, it did bring some um, peace to my heart in realizing that there is still a great divide uh, in the political parties today uh, on a lot of major moral issues, uh, Republicans versus Democrats. Um, but there will be a time when even those two groups will come together watch out because that's it now I don't know and I'm not teaching on Bible prophecy tonight I don't know if that will be after the church is raptured out of here uh, or right before I don't know but I know that it will happen 
um, because that's what we see. We see God's word coming to pass. We see history repeating itself. That's why there are those that are so adamant about erasing history. Um, and I'm not going to go into all of that. I'm just trying to get your mind um, in a place to where you really understand what's happening in this text, but it's even happening uh, today. The Herodians were a political party among the Jews who were supporters of King Herod. They supported him. They enjoyed the benefits they received uh, because of the Roman occupation. They, uh, while the Romans controlled their country, the people enjoyed religious freedoms, protection, and prosperity. King Herod supported the Romans and sought to bring Rome culture to Israel. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Sounds familiar. Normally, these two groups, again, had nothing to do. They were polar opposites. They hated one another, yet they came together to kill Jesus. First, to discredit his message, and then ultimately their goal was to destroy him. There are two forces that have the power to, to unite people for either good or for evil, and those forces are love and hate. Those are the two forces, love and hate. I've seen love uh, unite people for the common good, and I've seen hate unite people in a quest to destroy others. And I don't have to say it all tonight. You know what I'm talking about. You know the groups that I'm referring to tonight. Um, so these men were brought together in their common hatred of the Lord, uh, who they saw as a threat to their way of life, and they wanted him gone. Again, it goes back to who was in control. They didn't like that their authority was being um, tampered with, being uh, touched, being threatened. They wanted to be in control instead of the Lord. And again, you see the same conspir uh, conspiracies even in church. People will unite in their frustration and aggravation. They'll come together sometimes for the common goal of getting rid of a pastor. I've heard stories of uh, groups of a congregation will have secret prayer meetings to pray a pastor out. That's wrong. Actually happened to a family member of my husband's. Um, come together to pray out a pastor. That's wrong. Uh, the church and church people should be united by the bond of love. And when we are controlled by love, we will seek good and not evil. May love be our calling card as we travel through this world. John 13 and 35 tells us this. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. We are to love one another. We're not to look for flaws in one another. We're to look for the good. We're to love people through their sins, just as the Lord does us. He doesn't love us in our sins. He loves us through our sins. He, he sh always shows us a way out. And we've got to be that kind of church. Verse 13 again says to catch him in his words. And the word catch here is the idea of hunting or setting a trap to catch one's prey. See, they wanted to outsmart Jesus. Bad idea. Bad idea. They thought they could outsmart Jesus. They thought they could get him to say something that would get him in trouble with either the Roman authorities uh, or the common people. And if they could get Jesus to offend Rome, they could label him as an insurrectionist. 
uh, and Rome would take care of the problem for them. And if they could discredit Jesus with the common people, he would lose his influence there. They thought either way the problem would be solved. Uh, it's a tragedy, again, when people set, uh, seek to trap other people so they can attack them. We should not set our brothers and sisters up for failure. And I see it happen a lot. And it breaks my heart because I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. We shouldn't set people up to be able to say, ah, I knew you would fail. I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you would mess up. No, we should set people up for greatness, for good things. And then if they do happen to fall, we're right there to help them get up, to help them on their way, not to kick them while they're down. That's what we should be. 1 Corinthians 13.5 again says at the end of it that, uh, I'll read the whole verse, uh, do not behave itself, this is talking about love, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinks no evil. That's the definition of what love is. I mean, I hear Christian people all the time say horrible things about other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I'm like, do you really know the Lord at all? to be saying these horrible, ugly things. Even if you disagree, you're a brother and a sister in the Lord. Just keep your mouth shut. If you disagree with something, pray for them. Pray that the Lord change them or change your heart. And I'm going to tell you, most of the time, if not all the times, we need to be praying that the Lord would change us and not just everybody else, that the Lord would change us. See, real love does not Remember, in uh, injury, real love does not believe all it hears about somebody else or all it reads on Facebook about somebody. Real love gets to know somebody for themselves, not just, well, I heard that person was horrible. They were mean. They were arrogant. They were rude. Well, do you even know them? Have you ever met the person for yourself? If not, zip the lip. And if you do meet them and all those things are true, zip your mouth. We should not seek to destroy one another. Build each other up. Real love does not look for fault in others. And if this was the attitude practiced in the church, I dare say it would solve about 90% of the church's problems. If we would just love people, love them where they are, Pray for them. Correct them with the word. That's what the Bible tells us to do, not with our thoughts and our opinions. See, the problem with the Pharisees and the Herodians was that they were lost men who operated in the power of the flesh. They were lost men who operated in the power of the flesh. They had religion, but they did not have salvation. And that's sad, but it's true today of a lot of folks who are in church week in and week out. See, that makes them the most dangerous people of all. I've seen more trouble caused in churches by religious people than I have ever by the lost. A lost person will walk into a church and they'll see the religious people and they won't come back most of the times. Because they know, gosh, I don't want to get messed up in that. If the first thing they hear when they come in is talking about brother so-and-so or talking about sister so-and-so, 
or you're in my seat, or maybe somebody's been sick for a while. Well, let me get you a visitor's card. I know it's all done in joking, but you don't know what that person's been through when they've been out. And the last thing they want to be reminded of is that they hadn't been here in forever. It should just be, gosh, I love you. I missed you. Hug them. Come on in. Have a seat. Come sit with me. Not, well, good luck in finding somewhere to sit because I've already claimed all these seats. <laughs> you know, I mean, y'all, we laugh, but a lot of times that's what we project. That's the attitude we put off. God, help us. Forgive us. Teach us how to be better Christians. And that's always to put other people first, other people's needs before our own. That's what we have to be about. See, the, the problem, again, with the Pharisees and the Herodians was that they were lost. So quit looking to lost people to, find pro, uh, to solve problems within the church. We've got the word of God. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. We don't need, we shouldn't need help from anywhere else. He's our only help. Verse 14, here come the compliments. Right? And, and they were said with much sarcasm is the undertone here. These men come to Jesus and they try to use, uh, I guess, maybe a psychological trick on him. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. They come to him with flattery. See, people will do that, won't they? Won't they come to you and start flattering you? Your kids will do that to you. Gosh, Mom, you look so good today. Did you do something different with your hair? No, what do you want? <laughs> right? What do you want? Just tell me what you want. Let's skip all this. Just tell me what you want. They will try to butter you up before they drop the hammer on your head. Um, that's what these men are doing. Psalm 5 and 9 tells us, warns us about flattery. It says, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. And then Proverbs 29 and 5 says, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. See, they come to Jesus and they call him master. That word means teacher. Then they begin to share their compliments with Jesus. That's what they're saying. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. We know that uh, you don't care about anyone's opinion. You know, they keep on and on and on. And guess what? Everything they said about Jesus was true. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe a word of it. Uh, this is nothing more than insincere flattery designed to cause Jesus to drop his guard and to say something stupid. But that doesn't happen with Jesus. Only us. Only us, right? Given the way these men have treated Jesus in the past, you can almost hear the sarcasm in their voice when you read this text. See, this trick would have worked with an ordinary man, but not with the Lord, not with him. He knew their motives, and he could see the conditions of their hearts. See, Jesus couldn't be snared by their words. His ego would not inflate. Pride would not cause him to lower his guard. Uh, the big head wouldn't take him down. The flattery of the forked tongue will not work on the Son of God. It won't work. Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, will not be tripped up by the foolishness of man. Not now or ever. It will not work. It will not work. And I, just a warning, 
uh, you would do well to watch out for people who are always trying to flatter you, right? Uh, there was an ancient Greek philosopher who said it like this, it's better to fall among crows than flatterers. For those devour only the dead, these the living. They will devour you when they are constantly, oh, you're wonderful, you're great, you're, what? You don't even, you definitely don't know me. <laughs> Come spend a day at my house. Go talk to my kids. Go talk to my husband. It's not that I try to be mean, but no, we're not these things. But sometimes I'm just mean. It happens. I know it don't happen with y'all. It's just me. See, there's people all around us who try to get us on their side through flattery. Uh, they just do that. And the real danger with flattery is summed up like this. Flattery is telling the other person precisely what he thinks about himself. Right? Jesus could have believed every good that they said about him because it was all true. But we would do well to ignore the good things that are said about us. There is danger that we might just come to believe them, right? Don't believe it. Flattery is all right, just so as long as you don't inhale. I thought it might take a while. <laughs> Flattery is good. It's all right, as long as you don't inhale. Don't breathe it in. Because your hair will <laughs> it'll just explode. So we've got to watch out. Verses uh, carrying on in 14 and 15, we find here um, their sarcastic flattery. They get to the real reason for their visit. They ask Jesus about paying tribute uh, to Caesar. The tribute was a poll tax that they had to pay, um, and the poll tax was a penny or a denarius. That's what they called it, uh, which was a day's pay for the common worker. Uh, in that time. For both of these groups, this was a matter of separation of church and state. We know about that. The Pharisees believed that religion was superior to the state, but the Herodians believed that the state was superior to religion. Um, the Herodians didn't mind paying tax because they liked all the benefits. We've talked about this. The Herodians held the government, uh, held that the government was dominant over religion. They would agree that taxes must be paid to Caesar rather than to God. <coughs> Democrats. <laughs> the Pharisees, on the other hand, hated the tax because they detested Roman rule, and they uh, recoiled against the using a coin that bore a graven image. It was the image of... Uh, the, the emperor at that time. The Pharisees believed uh, that the state and all other power and authority were to be subject to religious rule. Therefore, they were strongly against paying taxes to a foreign king. Uh, paying taxes to a secular government was an infringement upon God's right. Now, I would cough and say Republican, but it's kind of somewhere in between, all right? Um, they come to Jesus to ask him of paying this tax as lawful, right? And if Jesus said no, again, they knew they had him. If he said yes, they knew they had him. So what was going to be the answer? Um, watch out for people who come to you asking questions about your belief. Some may be sincere, but a lot of times people are just coming for a confrontation. They're coming demanding. They just want to prove you wrong, right? 
You've got to be aware of that. It always makes me a little bit nervous when someone comes with an off-the-wall question. We had an individual a couple years ago that loved to do that, um, would come into the sanctuary and question us about things and would use words that we don't use <laughs> and just trying to get a rise out of us, I suppose. Um, but we always relied on the Holy Spirit to give us words to kind of put out that fire before it got too big. I'm not looking for an argument. I don't need to argue the Word of God. I don't have to do that. I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so it's crunch time. Which way will Jesus go? Would he alienate? Who would he alienate with his answer? And that's what they were looking. But the thing I love about Jesus is he never leaves anyone out. He never leaves anyone out. See, the ways of the Lord never exclude. They are all inclusive. So if someone comes to you, if a religious person comes to you and says um, that you ha to be saved, you have to be water baptized, that's a lie. Because it excludes those. You tell me somebody's serving in the military and they are um, out on the battlefield. They give their heart to the Lord, but how in the world are they going to get baptized? Right? At that very moment, if a bomb went off and they lost their life, you're going to tell me that they go to hell because they weren't water baptized? No. Absolutely not. See, that's an exclusion. That's, that's not right. We, uh, to be saved, you have to speak in tongues. No, that's not right. These are all godly things that we do, but you don't have to participate in these things to be saved. Well, you have to fast to be saved. No, some people physically cannot fast. They have certain health issues. That excludes somebody. So that's not, that salvation does not depend upon that. So you need to know these things. If somebody, and that's a religious person that will come to you and say this, no, salvation comes by simple belief, simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe that he is, and everyone can do that. Whosoever, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. You don't have to add anything to it. Again, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they were nothing but hypocrites. He knew they had no respect for him, for his ministry. He knew that they hated him. And in fact, he knew that they wanted him dead. He knew that the cross laid before him. We've got to remember this. He came as a baby to go to the cross his mind was never swayed. His mission was never compromised. He knew why he came to earth, and it was to die to redeem mankind. He never forgot, but we always do. We tend to forget his purpose. We get caught up in our agendas, and we forget that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's it. Not to give us a pretty building. Thank God he has. Not to make our lives comfortable. Thank God he has. And before you say, well, you don't know my life, I don't care. You're here. You've got it good. I was just scrolling through Facebook, and I saw I've got a friend that, that lives in another country, and children just laying everywhere sick, and we've got it good. We are blessed in the United States. So don't tell me, oh, you don't know my life. 
But even if you were in one of those countries, if you've got breath, you're blessed. The Lord's given it to you. Don't take it for granted. So with one simple question, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. Um, how? Because he knows. It says, but he knowing. See, these men thought they could pull a fast one over on Jesus. They thought they could outwit him, but he could see the very condition of their heart. Did you know that he knows our hearts as well tonight? He knows our hearts. He sees our hearts tonight. Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. He knows if you're saved. He knows if you're just playing church. He knows if you're just playing apart so others will think well of you. He knows where you truly stand with God. Hebrews 4 and 13 tells us, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows everything. The question is, what does he see when he looks into your heart? What does he see in your heart tonight? Does he see saving faith and a new creature, or does he see dead religion and nothing more? Um, the Markleys were able to go hear C.T. Townsend last night. He's a Baptist evangelist, powerful speaker. Uh, I believe that he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, but he, he goes to these Baptist churches, and a lot of them discredit the working of the Holy Spirit. But last night, six souls were saved. Dennis said that the moment the music started, an invitation had not even been given, and people started coming to the altars. What's our problem? We're supposed to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and it takes a drum roll and a da-da-da-da, crescendo, and all those other musical terms that I don't know. I wish I did, but it takes that to get us to respond. And we acknowledge the Holy Spirit. What is our problem? Lord, awaken us. Make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit. When we truly understand who we're coming to, we should run to him. We shouldn't have to be prodded and drugged. You know, I, I, if we could see, I mean, the pastor's up here like with a lasso trying to put it around your neck, and, and y'all are out there dodging the lasso. Oh, gosh, don't get me. And then he's up here pulling. Please, come. Shouldn't be. I'm tired of that, I, to be honest. I am. Holy Spirit, move people's heart or move people. Move them out. And that might seem harsh. But we don't have time to play around. We do not have time to play around. And I'm going to have to skip through some scriptures, Vanessa, and I apologize. But all those scriptures will pertain to this message tonight that you're able to get. So verses 15 and 16, right here he answers the question. He asks for a penny. Isn't it crazy that Jesus himself didn't even have a penny? He didn't even have a penny in his pocket. That tells me a couple things that, um, he became poor so that I could be rich. <laughs> I could be rich in everything. He didn't even have a penny. He had to borrow one to see whose image was on it. That just amazes me. Uh, it reminds me that Jesus lived his life in this world as a spirit-filled man, and he didn't need to have his pockets full of money to be content, right? He walked by faith, and he simply trusted his father to meet all of his needs 
And that would be a great lesson for all of us to learn. And then verse 17, Jesus answers the question, but not the way they expected. And if anything, during the study of Mark, it's never the way they expected. The Lord works, he answers, he moves, never in the way we expected. But his ways are always right. They're always on time. He says, render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's, the things that are Caesar's. When Jesus held up the Daenerys, he said, and the people confirmed that it had the image or the inscription of Caesar on it. And in that day, coins uh, would bear the image of the ruler at that time. So Jesus says, this coin belongs to Caesar. Give it back to him if he asks for it. So Christians, we've got to pay our taxes. We have to pay taxes. I know. Man. Right? There's no getting around it. Jesus recognizes the legitimacy of uh, the state. Right? He, he tells us that we have an obligation to honor the authority of the state in our lives. Uh, and I don't have time to read these scriptures, but God determines who our earthly rulers will be. He does. And if we've ever seen that to be true, it's been the last election, and I believe with my whole heart it'll be this next election. He has a reason, he has a plan, and he has a purpose for those that are in office. And he's going to use it to bring about his plan in this, in this lifetime. See, the people who lived in ancient Rome enjoyed many benefits by being in the empire. They enjoyed peace, protection, justice, uh, safe travel, good roads, many other things. But all of that had to be paid for. Same thing today. That's why we have to pay taxes. Uh, when it comes to the Christian and the government, there's four basic attitudes, and I'm going to be closing with this, and then I'll tell you which one I think is biblical. One attitude is God alone is our authority. One is the state alone is our authority. One is God and the state are both authorities, but the state is dominant. And then the last one is God and state are both authorities, but God is dominant. And, of course, this is the biblical view. That's the one that is biblical. This was the view given by Jesus in these verses. Uh, and those who hold this view obey the state as long as the demands don't violate the clear teachings of the word of God. Now, dealing with what we've been dealing with since March, it got a little touchy there for a while. But thanks be to God, we kept on. <laughs> we kept on. We didn't close. We didn't stop. We continued to go forward. Uh, because that's what we felt the Lord wanted us to do, and he's honored that. Um, do we have the full house that we had before? No, but we have the ones that the Lord wants, that he desires to be here. But if you're viewing by Internet, by Facebook, you're with us. You're still with us. But we do know the reality of things that we've probably lost a third of our church. That just happens. But God hadn't lost them. His eyes are still on them. He knows where they are, and we're praying and believing that he's going to bring them back. Uh, there's much more that we could talk about, uh, church and state relations, but I don't have time to go into that. So Jesus finishes up and says, And to God, the things that are God's see, the coin bore the image of Caesar. But guess what? We bear the image of God. We bear the image of God. And you want to find those scriptures in Genesis and then in uh, 1 Corinthians, it tells us how he owns us. He owns us by the right of creation and the right of redemption. He owns us. We bear his image. And you think about in the old days when the king would dip his ring in wax and put his seal upon it. 
That's exactly what the Lord has done to us. He has put his seal upon our hearts and upon our lives. We bear the image of the Lord. And everywhere we go, we should keep that in mind, that we are representing the Lord always. So Jesus uh, is, again, reminding us that he is our Savior, but we have an obligation to pray for those that are in authority over us. Uh, 1 Timothy, Vanessa, if you could pull that scripture reference up. And I'm going to read this in closing. And tonight I felt led to to close a little differently than we really closed before. I I guess the patriotic in me, the patriot in me was kind of coming out. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. I want us to come and just spend a moment gathered around these altars to pray for our nation to pray for those in leadership over us, to pray that the church would vote. I mean, it's sad to think that not even 50% of evangelicals voted in the last election. Not even half went out and voted. We've got to go vote. We've got to be out in full force voting. It is our obligation to the Lord. It's a privilege that people have fought and died for, for us to be able to do it. The word supports it. It says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, we need to be reminded that when we go to the polls and we go to vote, we're voting the Bible. That's what we're voting. We're voting the Bible and... You cannot vote or support a party that goes against the Bible. You can't, and call yourself a Christian. You need to get to know, if you don't already know, who's running. You need to know what their beliefs are, where their stance are, what they support, what they don't support. Do they support Israel? Do they not support Israel? That tells you all you need to know. You need to know. You need to be informed before you go to the polls, but you've got to go to the polls and vote. It's our obligation as Christians to do that. And if there's ever an important election, it's this year. Pray for the upcoming uh, filling of the seat uh, in the, the Supreme Court. Pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance for that. These things are crucial. The average American doesn't understand the importance of what's taken place. I mean, I I pray for the family of the judge that just passed away. I always say her last name wrong, Ginsburg. But she allowed more babies to be murdered than any other judge in history. Now, she'll have to stand before the Lord for that. But I'm praying that the Lord will see fit that the next judge that's seated will do everything in their power to protect as many as possible.
So tonight I'm going to ask you to stand. If there's ever been a time in our history that we need to pray for our country, we need to pray for those in authority, those in leadership over us, it's now. So as the music plays, if you just want to come forward and just spend a little time around these altars, let's pray for the United States of America. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I've worked for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my God above to be living here today, for the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away.
those were our flags flying that last post. And um, I just want people to realize the privilege that we have as Americans. There's no other country in this world that's like ours. Our founding fathers, what they did, what they stood for, what they stood on, and that was the word of God. We live in the greatest nation on the face of this earth, and I truly believe that the Lord is going to give us four more years. <laughs> Why? So that revival can come, that souls can be saved, because after that, he's, that's it. God's hand of protection has been slowly being removed, and I, and I just believe that, that this is it. This is our last, our last opportunity. So encourage those. Encourage your family members. Encourage your friends. Register to vote and go vote. Um, because our freedoms, the freedoms that we know today, that we enjoy today, depend on it. They say vote as if your life depends on it. It does. It does depend on it. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word that's going forth tonight. I pray that you continue to, to stir us, Lord. God, that patriots rise up, Lord. God, our allegiance is to, to you first, and, and we know that, Lord. But God, we thank you. Let us not shrink back. Let us not remain silent, but let us take a stand for what we know is right, Lord. Let your boldness rise up within your church, Lord, to declare, thus saith the Lord in these last days, Lord. Oh, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory and honor. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you guys. Don't forget, if you can stay for just a minute to help break down the sanctuary, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, and ladies, we'll see you on Saturday. Uh, come hungry. And then everybody else, we'll see you on Sunday. Feel